0: Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. Today, I'm going to be answering a bunch of your questions that I got on Instagram. I could only pick a few, but these were the ones that actually came in more frequently than others. And so because of the frequency, I felt like it was important to cover them today. So question number one, it's impossible for me to hit my macros within five grams. Now, she chose that within five grams because I've talked about that before, how 100% to me, when my clients are checking in with me, 100% is you hitting your macros within five grams. So five grams over or under, just within five grams. So that's 100%. So she's saying it's impossible for me to hit my macros within five grams. By the end of the night, I'm either over or too low or not enough protein, or I'm just sitting there eating a chicken breast before (laughs) <laughs> I added that last part because I, I cannot tell you how many clients have told me I literally was like gnawing on jerky or a chicken breast before bed to hit my protein or I was just getting protein shakes. I got two or three before bed. Okay. That is a huge red flag for me as a coach. And it makes me realize that the person is not setting themselves up for success beforehand. What they're trying to do is they're trying to enter the day and just wing it. So, just as the day goes on, they're plugging in their stuff into my fitness pal or whatever tracker that they use. My husband uses macro, what is it? My macros plus or macros plus or something like that. And we literally, it's so funny, we have arguments about which one is better. Honestly, my Fitness Pal has a has a bigger database, and so that's why I choose it. But we're always like arguing. I love it when we go to a restaurant, and, he, and I'm like, "Well, it oh the the menu's in here. If you look up, oh I'm I'm sorry, is the menu not in your tracker? It's in mine. <laughs> oh man, we're nerds. The things we joke about. <laughs> but anyway, so whatever tracker you choose that you love. But the main thing is this person is trying to wing it every day. Now, even those of us who are experienced trackers who have been doing this for longer periods of time cannot wing it when we first get new numbers, especially. We cannot. Uh, We too will find that at the end of the day, we're scrambling trying to fill in our, our macros are protein or we're low on this or or too high here so now yeah we're just suffering so you have to make certain sacrifices to set yourself up for success in tracking meaning the night before before you go to bed you pull out your tracker and you think okay This is what I'm going to be having for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack. And you're plugging those things in the night before. Do you know what else is awesome about this idea of you, you know, setting yourself up for success? Is I literally will, the first thing that I plug in is my daily treat. I love having a treat to look forward to, especially when I'm in a cut. I love having a treat at the end of the night to really look forward to. And so I will put that in first and then I build the rest of my day around it. And that that always ensures that I get my fun food that I really enjoy and sometimes I'll put it in I'll put two fun foods in. I'll have an afternoon delight if you will <laughs> and then I will have my nightly treat. And I put both of those in first. And then I build my day around that. So chances are this individual is trying to wing it and they're not setting themselves up for success with planning out their day, either in the morning or the night before. I always suggest night before because in the morning, there's always something. There's always something that's going to take us off track. Now, when, when, I, when I suggest that, people always say, but what if the next day, I want to do something else for lunch, not what I planned in there. And that's fine. Once your numbers are in there, it's a lot easier for you to look at them and say, okay, well, I'm not feeling that sandwich that I wanted. Maybe I want to make these homemade tacos instead. So, how can I manipulate and land around the same macros? So, at least you know now, okay, for lunch, This is actually where I need to land for macros. Now, another approach to this would actually be sitting down and breaking up what your macros should look like per breakfast, lunch, post-workout, snack, and dinner. So if you want to, that's another great approach that I actually will do for my clients, there are some clients that prefer, instead of having a daily macro that they, macros that they need to hit, they actually like it when I break it up for them, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, because then when they go to eat, they're like, okay, I need 30 protein, 25 carbs, 12 fats, that's just an example okay, what meal can I make that that will fit that? And they like that approach because they like having the flexibility to have whatever food, but they know that they still have to keep it within this uh, constraint of macros per meal. So a lot of the success of dieting is actually finding out the process That's going to work best for you. The process of calorie restriction that will work best for you. So maybe that's the approach that you want to have instead. If you're like, no, I can't give up my winging it every day, then maybe what you need to do is at least break up your meals that you're given these certain meals with these certain calorie allotments and proteins, and you know you need to fill them. The second question is, every time I eat, I feel like I need a sweet treat after, and then everything spirals from there. So I actually don't think that there's anything wrong with at the end of every meal, if you want your two thin mint Oreos, if it fits in the total day. But you know what I think that this this person sh- suffers with? And I would actually ask this person, do you even like your meals that you're eating? Or are you turning to some dry chicken and rice with a side of broccoli because that's quote unquote healthy and that's the extent of your health food knowledge? So I would actually say that this individual probably doesn't. Enjoy the foods that they are eating. And they probably are turning to things like maybe turning to really small things like protein bar, like calorie dense things, like a protein bar and a shake with a tiny this and that. Instead of looking at, okay, how can I build 80% whole food, 20% fun food meal? that's really voluminous and tastes really good. And that is going to actually help with a few things. One, if you actually like the taste of the meal itself, the likelihood of needing a sweet treat after will diminish a little bit. It may not take it all the way away. But the second thing is If they are truly turning to voluminous foods where they can eat a lot more, where it leaves them satisfied and filled, then when they do turn to, okay, now I want to end it with my little treat, then they're going to be okay with just one to two thin mint Oreos because the meal itself was voluminous. I had somebody ask me, What does that mean, calorie-dense, voluminous foods? Well, this is an example. A protein bar, there are protein bars that are like 350 calories, and it is this tiny 1 by 4 inch bar. Okay, I don't care if it says protein bar on it, like, that doesn't necessarily mean it should be eaten for your meal because it's so dense, but yet the calories are like 350. So that's not going to be enough volume of food to actually stretch your stomach a little bit and signal that, okay, I'm, I'm getting full because it's so tiny. So that's what I mean by calorie-dense foods. So somebody's like, okay, I really want a Snickers. So they have a Snickers bar, which is calorie dense. And then they have a a protein shake, just a scoop of protein with maybe some water. They shake it up and that way they can hit their protein, but they also get their Snickers. Now, I don't care if once in a great while, that's how you get your treat and your protein at the same time. But when we are choosing meals that are similar in that calorie dense and just drinking all of our protein, then what's happening is we're not filling the stomach very much. And so we're not feeling satisfied after a meal. And then we want to turn outward and find other things that can make us feel satisfied and continue to curb our appetite because our food selection was such a tiny little thing. So guaranteed, this individual actually needs to learn how to eat more voluminous foods. And I think the best way to learn is to go to people who have already done the hard work and learned this for us. And then we just copy them And apply it to our lives. And I think Lily Eats and Tells, if you go to lilyeatsandtells.com, Lily is an incredible example of somebody who, one, turns to more voluminous foods, but also this woman has learned to season foods so that they taste so good that you get a ton of food, and she's really good about high protein. So a ton of food. A ton of protein, and you're going to feel a lot more satisfied. And it's so much food for actually low calories. Like yesterday, I had a huge bowl of her chili, and it was huge. And then on top of it, I had a salad. So both of those were super big, super filling. And I landed at like 380 calories. So it was kind of fun because I was able to sneak in some of my Easter candy as a little treat at the end of that. But I felt super full and satisfied for a good three hours. So that's what this individual really needs to learn. And I really encourage you to learn from people like this Lily Eats and Tells, where she really teaches how to season food to make it taste really good, but also get super high protein. So hopefully that can give you some guidance with that one. So the third question is, I know I can't spot reduce. This was a question I got from a friend recently. And she graduated in exercise science. She's taught classes for years. So it, it doesn't matter at what level we think we are. Sometimes we still need to be reminded of the essentials. She said, I know I can't spot reduce but you know right under my arms i feel like i hold a lot of body fat and i really would like to tone that more and so what exercises can i do right under here for my triceps to help that so this is kind of a two part question one in some regards she has said to me i know i can't spot reduce but i would like to spot reduce under my arms what can i do to spot reduce there so there is a little bit of that that she is asking, but then there's also the, the hope of maybe if I build more muscle there, it will have more shape. But the truth is, if you build muscle there, it may give it somewhat slightly a little bit better of a shape, but depending on how much body fat is there, it could just ultimately make it look bigger without making it look And so you do have to balance out this. Okay, I am going to put on muscle. And then I'm also going to spend time in a calorie deficit to pull back the body fat so that it gets this overall look that I want. And we see the same thing with legs. So a lot of women will come to me and say, I want my legs to look like they're fit and shapely. But as soon as I do any lower body work, my legs blow up and they don't look more fit. They just look bigger. And we're seeing the same thing. We're seeing that there's some muscle that's being put on, but without a calorie deficit, it's just going to look bigger. You're right. So a little bit of muscle, a little bit of body fat reduction, it doesn't have to be massive amounts, but a little bit will actually make it look really good. So sometimes women will also come to me saying, my legs are fine, they're big enough, they don't need to be any bigger, so I really don't want to work them. And I try to respect that as a coach, but sometimes it's really hard for me because I'm looking at their body and I look at bodies all day long. I know what a body looks like when it has muscle tissue underneath the body fat but that's okay these women don't know that they they they're not, this isn't their craft they haven't been looking at bodies all the time but it's really hard because i try to respect their wishes but at the same time i'm kind of like you actually don't have that much muscle on your legs and so i kind of have to find respectful ways to teach them throughout this course that you don't have as much muscle as you think but your body carries a ton of body fat there. And so a lot of times these women, I will do minimal amounts of leg work because you know, I'm trying to educate them and respect their wishes at the same time, but a lot of times they'll drop body fat and then be like, "Lind, where did my butt go?" I'm like, "Yeah." So about that, you know, it it actually wasn't muscle and now you're realizing it. Remember all those conversations we had where I tried to tell you that's not muscle. (laughs) And I tried to do it in really respectful ways and without, you know, I don't want to shame anybody or make them feel like they don't know their body. But a lot of times we don't know our bodies like we think. And so I really have gotten better as a coach, being able to have those hard conversations. But it was hard at first to be like, yeah, so that's not. Muscle there. We do need to actually work your glutes or your hamstrings or your quads more, because that's not muscle, because I've been on that side where they've have dropped body fat and been like, "Whoa, where did my legs go?" Yeah, so about that. <laughs> so anyways, we think we know these things, but we actually don't. But these women who still don't have a lot of muscle on their legs, but they carry a lot of body fat on there. But they're convinced that a lot of it is muscle. What they'll do is they'll begin working out. Now, when you go from not lifting to lifting, what happens is your muscles go from being very flat to you start using them in the gym. And then what happens is they're like, oh, I'm being used in new ways. I need fuel for the next time she uses me like this. We do that leg workout. So, when I eat carbs, my muscles, my leg muscles are like, oh, we need those. We need those because next time you do a leg day, we need to have fuel. We need to have more fuel. So when I have carbs post leg day, my legs are going to be like, oh, we need those. And they're going to pull those carbs right in. And what that does is it's going to initially give you this sarcoplasmic hypertrophy where your legs will fill with glucose. Glucose binds with water to make glycogen and it will fill your legs. And so people will be like, oh, I build my legs so quickly. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. keep in mind that actually isn't necessarily new muscle tissue. It's, it's glycogen. So what you're doing sometimes in the gym is you're getting a pump, you're getting that, um, your legs will feel bigger because you're getting a pump, you're getting blood flowing in, and then your muscles really want to make sure that they have enough glycogen stores for next time. So when you have carbs post or throughout that day, it's going to really pull it into your legs. So you're going to feel like your legs quote unquote build fast, but they actually don't. They don't build as fast as you think. It's just you went from not lifting to now your muscles are pulling in that glycogen for fuel and you're also now experiencing a pump in the gym where your blood is pooling around your muscles. And so people get scared because they're like, oh no, my legs are already too big. I better not lift them at all. And that's not the case. That's not necessarily what's happened. What you need to do in order to have the fit, attractive legs is is maybe that minimal work on them to build them slightly, but then you also need the calorie deficit so that the body fat comes down and then your legs have this really pretty fit shape, not just this big shape. Now, I do think even if you don't want to build your legs at all, it's really important that we do work them. Just because you walk into the gym and grab weights doesn't actually mean that you are going to put on muscle tissue. I wish it was that easy. You can't just go in and pick up a weight and do whatever and get muscle. Maybe if you're a newbie, maybe if you're going from, you know, doing absolutely nothing to doing something, you're, you are going to see this initial response in your body. But it will plateau pretty quickly depending on how your training is and how your nutrition is. And so keep that in mind when you, I truly believe even if you don't want to build your, your legs, I think you should still do some sort of functional work on them to make sure that they are firing like they should. You know, with women and, and pelvic floor health, like most women are going to get pregnant at one point of their life and pelvic floor health is really important for us. And so keeping functional training of your lower body can actually assist with that in some ways. Another question I got that I can answer quickly as we go into this is somebody said, well, if we can't spot reduce on our abs, then why even do ab work? Well, your core canister is really important when it comes to your pelvic floor. and But also, it's so integrated with that. But also a woman's torso, like a woman's abs or we go through with pregnancy, we go through incredible stages of being stretched so thin and then coming back down. we really go through these incredible changes. And so having a really healthy core canister, I mean that 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 core, works with that pelvic floor. And they're so intertwined that I believe that we do need to work on abs, not only for healthy function when we're doing larger lifts, where we're doing back work, where we're loading the spine, uh, and we want to make sure that we have a healthy, strong core But also just because us women are going to be going through these different phases and post-pregnancy core work, you know, first, I actually think post-pregnancy, we should make sure our breath work is really good because the diaphragm works um, hand in hand with your pelvic floor health. So post-pregnancy step one is get your breathing down, making sure we have good, healthy 360 breathing. And then the next step is we need to make sure that our core, that our ab work, all of that core work, our TVAs, our obliques are all firing healthy and working well together. And that promotes this healthy core canister. So for us women, it's more than just aesthetics, it's vitality, it's health. It's how are we going to keep our healthy body through all of these crazy transitions that our body goes through. So hopefully that rambling (laughs) kind of helps. I feel like that in and of itself needs its own podcast, and I'll probably do one on it, but I'm just trying to answer as many questions as I can today. So keep in mind that spot reduction is not a thing, but we can spot build. But if we're spot building without reducing body fat, then sometimes we're just getting bigger. So keep that in mind that it's great to to build muscle, but once you build it, if you don't get into calorie deficits at some period, you may not be able to see what you build. And so you may just feel bigger. And maybe that's your goal. Maybe you're a really like thin rail girl and that a lot in and of itself make you look healthier. Or maybe you generally have a thicker body and you do need to get into that calorie deficit to show the muscle and to have more of the body that you would like to have. My next question was, can you break your metabolism? Uh, No, you, you really can't. Now, you may see a reduction 3 to 5% in your RMR when you go into a steep calorie deficit, and I think that that's after you lose like six plus percent body weight. But if you, if you think about it, that reduction is only 50 to 70 calories. So there are some things that we can do to limit those me- metabolic adaptations as much as possible. One, we can learn to move more, have a more active lifestyle, um, track your steps, stay 10,000 eight to 10,000, make sure you're moving more, put on a little muscle tissue that can actually make up for that. And it'll be a wash. So as far as breaking your metabolism, I have women say, come to me saying, I've been dieting at 1200 calories for two years. I haven't lost any weight. I need to reverse up and then I can have a successful calorie deficit. I'm going to be honest. 99.9% 99.9% of the time, they're not eating 1200 calories. Okay, we grossly underestimate how much we eat. The research has shown up to 50%. A lot of times I will say, yeah, let's do a reverse when I get a new client. Because what I'm telling them is, and then I help educate them more about this process along the way. But what I'm telling them is, is yes, I'm giving you permission to eat more food, and to get out of that diet mindset because you've been restricting yourself so much mentally, but your body actually hasn't been eating 1200 calories and it hasn't been restricting itself. It's mainly you put into MyFitnessPal 1200 calories. You try to shoot that, but you end up binging a lot, eating out a lot, having tons of untracked stuff. And so really, it's just kind of gotten you back up to maintenance. And that's why you haven't been losing the weight and i know that that's hard to hear and people are like no no that's not true but but it it is and it's hard to kind of pause and really have that hard conversation with ourselves like have i really been literally tracking 100% everything going into my mouth no i haven't so a lot of times when clients come to me saying like oh I've been doing that. I need to reverse. I'll say, yeah, we do need to focus on eating more. We do. And we'll have these conversations over the span of a few months where we talk about how, yeah, like like taking that break away from restrictive thinking and learning to be more healthy in not like always thinking about restriction but shifting to a mindset of abundance is huge and it is mentally emotionally and physically healing so did they necessarily need to reverse from that 1200 no because they really weren't eating 1200 but that that mental shift from restriction to abundance they did need that so i don't care what you call that call that a reverse diet if that makes you feel better call it just to focus on abundance a diet break, whatever you want to call it. Yes, 100% they needed that. So I did have a friend tell me the other day, I really want to do a diet, but I just don't think I eat very much food. So I'm going to do a reverse before I do a diet. Really push up my calories and then cut them down so I have a more successful cut. And I understand that this is taught a lot in, um, in, like, the influencer world of fitness. But I actually feel like it's really misunderstood. Because the truth is, as I kept talking to my friend, then she confessed. <laughs> Further discussion. She's confessing how much she loves sugar and treats. And how she has these little meals every day. So she feels like she's eating small amounts. Because her meals are small. But then in between her meals, she's eating a lot of sugar. So, guys, is she really eating as low as she thinks she is? No, it's just that she's filling a lot of her calories with very calorie dense things like sugar. And so her meals may seem small, but throughout the day, she's hitting maintenance because of all of the snacking and all of the sugar that she's eating. So my guess is she's not eating as little as she thinks. What she needs to do before she cuts isn't necessarily a reverse. You know, this reverse diet approach of, okay, I think I've been eating 1,500. I'm going to slowly increase. She actually doesn't need to be doing that. What she does need to do, though, before she cuts, is she needs to sit at maintenance eating adequate enough protein learning to move more, learning to eat more whole foods, more voluminous foods, she's going to feel really good doing that. And she's going to feel the shift in her body and mind toward health. And then that will allow her to have a successful calorie deficit, a successful cut, Because in maintenance, she started eating a bunch of protein, she started establishing these habits, and then she's going to carry those habits into a calorie deficit. And honestly, just that shift of more whole foods, more protein, more movement, she's probably going to, even at maintenance, she may initially see some movement down and some tightening, leaning out, some body recomp. And then she can move down into a calorie deficit and really see the the movement towards her goals that she wanted to. So hopefully this Q&A has helped and I've answered some of your basic questions. If you guys have any questions that you want me to answer on the next Q&A, you can message me on Instagram at LiftingLindsay. You can also go to my website, LiftingLindsay.com and check out any of my coaching options, as well as my training app for those of you who really want to refine your training in the gym, make sure that you're training hard and training smart. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Lifting Lindsay podcast. You guys have a wonderful week.